Amen. So good. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Thank you. Can we just say thanks to our worship team for leading us so beautifully? <clears throat> it's good to see you. It's good to be together. It's good to be family. And uh, thank you for just valuing time to gather together in the presence of the Lord to worship Jesus. There's nothing else, man. In case you didn't know, we'll be doing that for a long time. Um, it only gets boring when we stop looking at him. And sometimes we, we think we're, we're tired or like fatigued in worship, but it's actually just so many distractions and we're used to such a high-paced life that we sometimes can miss the beauty and the simplicity of just simply looking. <clears throat> it's a beautiful thing as a church when we come together and we just focus on one thing. And you can feel throughout those times of, of worship, those corporate times, we kind of just, we, we come together in this focused pursuit of one thing and it's Him and everything else starts to fall away. And you can feel it, I don't know if you guys notice it, but you can feel sometimes with the first song, you know, we're shaking off the week, shaking off situations, and, and slowly what happens is we, we start to let go of everything else until there's just one thing, and then we hit those deep places, and when we, when we have the one thing and we're just looking at Him, He just opens up our heart. He like slices you open. It's like butter, you know, and He just moves straight in, and suddenly you go, wow, when I just look at the one thing, when I just focus on Him, when there's nothing else but His presence, then He knows the depths of my heart. He knows the desires of my heart. He knows what my heart needs. He knows... Everything that He's designed me to walk in, He begins to touch our hearts. He loves you so much. You, you don't get it, but it's okay. He really, he really loves you, and His kindness is incredible, the kindness of God. I'm, I'm undone, actually, by the kindness and goodness of God. And I think for so long, as the church, we have understood the gospel as a very... Um, sin-conscious, sin-orientated message that's more about behavior modification than it is about heart transformation. And God's doing such a rich, deep work in the church, and you will probably hear me say things like this for the rest of my life because it's just the gospel, but He's doing such a deep work in the church where He's removing the perspective that's man-orientated, self-centered gospel living. We think it's the gospel, but it's not. And He's bringing us to a place of just seeing one thing, if I could say it like this, the gospel is about you recognizing no other but Christ. The gospel is about you looking at yourself and recognizing nothing but Christ. Not because you earned it, not because you did it or achieved it or because you ticked the boxes, but because He did. I said this a couple of weeks ago, He's not impressed by you, He's impressed by the Lamb. It's so nice. It takes the pressure off. You don't have to impress God. Because even when you think you're, imp you're impressive, you're not. <clears throat> and and he's, not look he's not asking you to be impressive. He's not even looking for you to prove yourself. He already proved it. The finished work is the finished work. He is madly in love with you. The, the problem with the misrepresentation of the gospel in the church today is we've chased so many people away because they think they have to get their act together before they can come to him. They, they feel like they have to get right with God before they can be with God. The amazing thing is that, I think I said it last week, if, if your understanding of the gospel is you trying to find peace with God, you've missed the gospel. Because the gospel says you have it. The gospel says that's what he died for. So if you don't believe in Jesus, if you're an unbeliever, sure, you don't have peace with God. You need to give your life to Jesus. But when you do give your life to Jesus, you have peace with him. Full stop, it's done. And he loves you. And he loves your heart. And he's, he's more concerned with the journey of your heart than he is with the correction of your behavior. 
Imagine we treated each other like that. Imagine we were more aware of the transformation of our hearts than trying to correct behavior in our lives. Can I tell you, I don't know why I'm going here, but I think it's because the Lord's healing stuff in our hearts. Um, I'll introduce myself just now for new people, but I promise I'm meant to be here. <clears throat> I didn't hijack the meeting if you don't know who I am. Um, there's something interesting about um, the way the human heart is designed by God. I did not prepare this, so we're just going to follow the Lord, okay? Just stick with me. You were created with the ability to desire. <clears throat> Think about that for a second. You were given the ability to long for something, to ache, to groan, to desire. And the reason for that is because God's a lover. He's a judge. He's a king. He's a righteous king. He's Lord. He's creator. He's wild. Don't get me wrong. But he's looking for a people that he can have intimacy with. So he gives you and creates in you this ability to have desire and longing for him. And the enemy is so clever in that if he can corrupt your understanding of desire, he can rob you of the design and purpose for your life, which is to walk with God. So addiction is the corruption of desire. Just think about that for a second. If you were made to desire God so that he could satisfy your desire, the enemy comes with an attempt to corrupt your perspective of desire, what you think you're desiring, and you begin to look for satisfaction in places that will never fulfill that ache in your heart. And so we live these lives of broken perpetual cycles, trying to get something from each other, trying to get something from the world, trying to get something from money, trying to get something from business, trying to get something from all these places that we look for our identity in and we're never satisfied. And what we see is the perpetual cycle of brokenness. Because the only person who can satisfy the longing of your heart is Jesus. So, this morning it's like he was touching the, the depths of our hearts in a different way. Because he's revealing himself to us to say, there's only one. There's only one who can satisfy the longing of your heart. There's only one. See, purity only comes from the person of Jesus and righteousness can only come from the person of Jesus. In fact, let me, let me say it like this. There's only one who's pure and there's only one who's righteous. There is only one. His name's Jesus. So if our gospel message is centered around getting your act together, we've missed the gospel. <clears throat> uh, just follow me for a little bit. I'm really trusting Holy Spirit here. If we receive the righteous one, if we receive the pure one, We walk in a purity that is not uh, based on whether I keep that covenant or not. Okay, God makes a covenant with you through Jesus called the new covenant. Everyone gets that? Amen. Who keeps that covenant? It's not us, right? Because otherwise we're done. We we, we were done about five minutes into the covenant. Maybe 30 seconds. So who keeps the covenant? God. 
So if the covenant's based on God, and in that covenant is his righteousness, his purity, his love, his life that he's freely given to me, how do I escape that? See, why I'm saying this is I'm just hitting. If you think that your failures and mistakes can, can pull you out of that place, you, you don't understand what Jesus has done. <clears throat> there's only one thing that can separate you from God. It's unbelief. In the, in the new covenant, there's only one thing that separates you from Him. It's unbelief. There's nothing else. Your sin cannot separate you from Him. Your, your failures are what you think of failures, because let me just hit that one more time. It's interesting how we've decided what failures count and which ones don't. <clears throat> Are you with me? If you follow this train of thought through, you'll get what I'm saying. And if you're upset with me and you're like a little bit like, oh, what's this guy saying? It's probably because you need to get set free from a religious spirit. Because the reality is we measure our failures and we say that one's really bad. This one, no one really looks at. No one cares about that. So it's all good. As long as no one knows about it, I'm sharp. But the ones that everyone knows about, that one disqualifies people. And what it produces in the church is this hierarchical view of like, um, I look down on people, I'm better than people, I can criticize, analyze, judge people. And it's not the heart of God, because if God looked at you that way, you were done a long time ago. But he doesn't. He's not measuring you. The metrics of the gospel are not your sin, failures, or disappointments. The metrics of the gospel is the blood of Jesus. Full stop. So it means, this is the radical gospel of grace, is that in your deepest, darkest moments, he looks at you and sees himself. When you think you screwed it up, he says, I already finished it. What I'm saying is you can't mess this up, guys. That's what I'm trying to say. You can smile at me. I don't know why you're growling at me. It's actually good news. The reason why, why you're feeling what you're feeling is because it's tender and because we've been trained our whole lives by a lie. So everything around you wants to tell you that actually if you don't get it right, you're done. And it's because we've been told this thing by the world, you can be anything you want to. No, you can't. <laughs> You can do anything. Nobody can say that you're not good enough. Nobody can say that you can't do that. Actually, we all could. It's this weird self-righteous thing where it's like, you know, it's all about the grind. You, put, you can do anything you put your mind to. No, you can't. H how dumb are we? How many, if I look across now and say, look at how many people are struggling with depression, anxiety, all these different things. So just put your mind to it and you'll be free from it. addictions and struggles, how many people are struggling with so many things, but they're the first people to post on their social media, you know, what, nobody can tell me that I can't do something. But you're struggling in brokenness. Just die to yourself. Do it already. There's only one way to freedom. There's only one way forward. It's, it's, it's the end of ourselves and, and all of Christ. See, Jesus isn't looking for space in your heart where he can live. He's not looking for an area in your life where he can belong. He's very secure in himself. He doesn't need that. He asks for everything. Everything. In other words, what we think are our strengths are still weak. <laughs> and he wants the whole weak thing, the whole weak package. He goes, if you give me that, I will do in you what you could never do in yourself. That's the beauty of the gospel. See, the gospel of grace is like oxygen. <clears throat> when you breathe in the gospel, you go, man, I'm free to live. And, and we're afraid of this message and we're afraid to talk about it more and more because we think that we're justifying sin. But by still living a life orientated or, or, or um, conscious of sin, it's an insult to the cross because what you're saying is what he did wasn't enough. So people accuse us when we speak of grace. They accuse us of, you know, uh, making light of sin. And I go, no, you're making light of sin by saying the cross wasn't enough. 
I'm not making light of sin. I'm telling you that the brutal death that he paid the price for on the cross did it. He actually did it. He did what he said he did. You with me? So, so this brings freedom to our hearts because suddenly he brings redemption, he brings healing, and he brings wholeness, not because I figured out how it works, but because I can receive it, say thank you, and believe it. See, your heart is actually a very simple thing. You were actually designed to be dependent. You were designed to need someone. Only one, but you were designed to need him. His name's Jesus. We'll never outgrow grace. We'll never qualify from grace. We'll never uh, qualify from our need for Jesus. You will always need a savior. And maturity is learning to walk there every moment of every day. See, because when you stay dependent on Jesus, you stay abiding in the vine. And when you stay abiding in the vine, he gives you all that you need to do what he's called you to do. You are meant to be a supernatural person. Amen? So uh, if I could give you confidence in this and just say, if it's not supernatural, it won't work. So, so settle that on your heart and go, I'm a, I can expect the impossible. The impossible is, is, is what my life should look like. We were chatting to friends last night and just having a conversation about it and saying, the reason why most people are too afraid to jump into the impossible is because there's no control there. <clears throat> okay. If I can just touch one thing very quickly. I, I believe that God can pour millions through believers to bless others, but I believe that they'll never know how much it really was. And the reason I'm saying that is because when I'm yielded to Jesus and I'm just letting things flow, flow from my life, I'm not trying to control that thing. It's His. So I'll never know how much flowed from my life. I'll never be in control of that. It's why I don't I'm just... I'm going to offend someone, but it's okay. I don't think you'll, if you're following Jesus, especially with your money, I'm just going to hit it. If you're following Jesus with your money, I, I'm pretty convinced that you won't get to a place where you're multi-billionaire and you feel good about yourself because you, you have started a charity work in an organization and everyone applauds you because you're doing such good work. I don't think it looks like that. I think it looks like a life that's just continually flowing and God can bless that life, but it's moving all the time. Why? Because I'm living for something so much bigger, so much greater. And, and it's supposed to flow and touch the world. It's supposed to bless people. It's supposed to bless the earth. The, the priesthood, the church, is actually supposed to be a blessing to the nations. Not just financially, but with everything that you have. It's meant to flow from your life. If the Spirit of Jesus in you wells up like rivers of living water, there is movement and activity. It flows from your life. It's not a dam. It's a river. It's not a dam that you get to decide which sleuth, what are they called, those gate things, sleuth gates that you can open at a time. I'm going to open this one and let a little trickle out there. Close that one. Whoa. Don't want to let the water drop too much. It's a river. See, the only reason why we would open and close the sleuth gates is because we're not convinced that more is coming. And the reason why we're not convinced that more is coming is because we don't have friendship with God. We don't know His voice. If you walk in friendship with God and you hear His voice, you have a confidence that, that goes way beyond your situation and circumstance. You have a confidence that's not based on your bank account. It's not based on your work situation. It's not based on whether you have promotion, don't have promotion, how you think you're doing, how you're not doing, where your relationships are, where they're not. It doesn't matter. There's a confidence that comes because He's a supernatural God. I'm a supernatural person. And the life flow of God is flowing through my life. So I expect God to move. So the impossible excites me. It doesn't scare me. Uncertainty is a playground. It's not a fear. Yeah. Amen? Amen? I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. I'm, I'm shaking. I'm a little bit afraid, actually. 
See, he's so kind and he really loves you. Can I, can I, can I tell you, um, this is how kind the Lord is. Moses is in a situation where God gives him the law and Moses is asked to give the law to the people of Israel and it starts with 10 commandments and they take it to 613 laws. And if you miss one, you miss them all, right? So it wasn't given to Israel to, to say, hey, you need to live all these things in order to have a relationship with me. It was given to Israel to say, you can't. Israel, basically, if I can paraphrase, this is like Connor's version of the Message Bible. Um, it's, it, you know, Israel basically say, Moses, you go up, find out what God wants. We're too scared to go up where the thunder, lightning, and all the scary stuff is happening. You go up, find out what God wants, tell us what to do. That's never been God's heart, because if you actually read in Exodus, he invited the whole nation of Israel up, but they sent one. And I love Moses, man, because he goes up and he, he begins to understand the ways of God, not just the acts of God. See, Israel knew his acts because they were law-bound. Moses saw him and spoke to him face-to-face -face as a friend speaks to a friend. By the way, this is under an old covenant. But what's insane is that Moses goes up there, he gets these laws, but he, he cries out. Even when God says, I'm really fed up with Israel, go to the promised land, you can have the promise, have everything that I've given you, but I'm not going. And Moses' response is like, not a chance. You take the promise. You can have the promise. I don't want the promise. I want you. You are the promise. We don't go without your presence. If you don't move, and this is what he says, how will they know who we are if you're not with us? Yeah. He's so given to the, to the glory of God. He's so given to the face of God. But can I tell you something about Moses? He broke the law. Pretty badly, actually, just to let you know. I mean, one, he, he murdered someone. But then secondly, do you know that he married a woman that the law said he was not supposed to marry? And do you know what happened? Aaron and Miriam, they accuse him of this. They come to him and say, hey, you actually married a woman that God said you're not allowed to marry. And God gets so upset with Aaron and Miriam that he gives them leprosy. <laughs> Numbers 12. He gives them leprosy. I'm, I, I don't know about you, but this teaches me something about the heart of God. God loves Moses because Moses understands what God wants. Friendship. Even in the context of the law where sin and all this stuff is going on, God is, is trying to reach out to Israel saying, I am longing for you. I'm not longing for your good behavior. I'm longing for you. I made your human heart because I want relationship with your human heart. So Moses comes into that space and he's crying out, show me your glory. That's, that's Moses' response to God saying, the promise is yours. When God says you can have the whole promise, Moses says, show me your glory. He's not concerned with the blessing. He's concerned with the face of God. So, so he gives Aaron and Miriam leprosy. And this, is so, this moves me about Moses. Moses goes and cries out before God for mercy on Aaron and Miriam. Isn't that wild? He broke the law. He's wrong. Do you get what I'm saying? He's wrong, and yet God honors him. And then even though he's wrong and he knows he's wrong, he goes and pleads with God for mercy on his brother and sister who are right. <laughs> what does this tell you about the kindness of God? And then God removes the leprosy, if you read the story. What moves me as well is that he comes down from the mountain where he's been in the glory of the Lord and his face is shining like the sun. The guy who killed someone and broke the law, 
gets to go into the glory of God and his face is radiating like the sun. Are you catching what I'm saying? And it's a fading glory. It's not, it's not even new covenant glory. It's old covenant glory. So it starts to fade off of his face and he puts a veil over his face. Okay? So that Israel won't see that the glory is actually disappearing. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says something so beautiful. It says, we are not like Moses. We don't veil our face. And as we behold him, as we look into the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, meaning it only gets brighter. The reason why our faces don't radiate like Moses is because we actually think we have to prove ourselves to God every time. But Moses understood something. See, Moses never, never thought of himself as the guy who was qualified to lead Israel. If it wasn't for a burning bush moment where God literally had to set a bush on fire, wow. If that thing comes at me, someone tell me, okay? <laughs> he had to literally set a bush on fire, speak to Moses and say, actually, I've called you. I've set you apart. This is what I want you to do. Moses was not going to... This thing's distracting everyone. Look at me. Just don't worry. If it stings me, it's all good. Just look at me. This is more important. So we're not like Moses. What we have is a greater glory. What we have is an intimacy with God that cannot fade because it's not based on you. It's His finished work. Jesus has brought you into a covenant. See, here, this is the thing. I, I'm, I'm saying this because there's an invitation to you to walk in friendship with God. A, a good sermon is not going to change your life. I like good sermons. I, I, I like preaching the gospel. It's good. But that's not what's going to change your life. Friendship with God is what will change your life. Walking with Him tomorrow. And I know for the church, the biggest struggle just worldwide is that in this room, when you hear the gospel and we worship together, it is so profound what God does, and it lifts your spirits, and it's supposed to do that. It's exciting. It's powerful. It equips you. It encourages you. But you're going to leave this room, and then you go out into intense, stressful, crazy environments where life gets loud, wants to say things to you all the time, wants to shape your identity, wants to shape your destiny, wants to tell you who they say that you are, and you have a decision to make. Where do you run? Where do you go? I said it last week. There's only two ways to live your life. Submitted to the flesh or submitted to the Holy Spirit. It, there's only, it's simple. It's hard sometimes, but it's, it's very simple. And the reality is the invitation from God is He's saying, actually, that tenderness that you're feeling this morning, like where God's touching all those things, all those areas in your life, whether it's relationships, situations, finances, past hurts and trauma, whatever it is, all those things, the answer is Him. The answer is friendship with Him. The answer is Him revealing Himself to you, walking with you every single day. See, friendship with God will satisfy you like no other. Friendship with God will lead you in righteousness, in peace, and in joy that's in the Holy Spirit. It's where His kingdom is. Our struggle as, as believers, maybe specifically in Western-influenced contexts, is that we, we're so wrapped up in a life that's designed around control, that control becomes the enemy of friendship with God. Because we're only, we'll only allow ourselves to hear God within the context of where it's okay by me. I've decided this is where God can speak. I've given God the parameters of what He's allowed to say and what He's not allowed to say. Everyone's, I can see it in your eyes. You're all nodding. You know what I'm talking about. And I said it, you know, when, sometimes we, we're... We're trying to make the right decisions and we, we're, we've forgotten that we can't. 
Your job is not to make the right decisions. Your job is to seek Jesus and obey Him. <laughs> so instead of trying to do it right, ask Him. Go to Him. Find out. Seek Him. He's there. He's, you're designed to hear God. You're designed to walk in intimacy with God. You're designed to be His friend. Amen. We're not like Moses. Can you picture this for a second? Peter. Everyone knows Peter? In the Bible, not... <laughs> he... <laughs> we actually do have a Pete in the church, that's why. <clears throat> Peter in the Bible. Think about this for a second. He's the guy who, one moment he's like legend of legends, gets revelation from the Father. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's like, man divine revelation from the Father. And Jesus publicly recognizes him and acknowledges him in front of all the disciples. I kind of relate to Peter. I would have felt amazing in that moment. <laughs> right? Pretty stoked. I would have been like, sheesh, Lord, you're going to build your church on this rock, let me tell you. <laughs> and then about three verses later, Jesus calls him Satan. Can you imagine? That's a high and a low. <laughs> One moment you've heard revelation from the Father, the next moment you're rebuking Jesus. And that's what Pe I get Peter, man. Peter. One moment he, he's so fired up about himself that you know, Jesus just gave him a new name and said, on this rock I'll build my church. Probably he thought that that meant him, even though he wasn't talking about that. And then he decides he's going to rebuke Jesus because Jesus said something he didn't like. Jesus said, I'm going to die. And Peter said, no, you're not. Sorry, this is the context of what you're allowed to speak into. You don't get to tell me that your plan is different to mine. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jeesh, that's brutal. Get behind me, Satan, for your mind is on the things of man. So flesh. You, you, were, you were submitted to the Holy Spirit about five minutes ago, and you received divine. You were operating in your purpose, your created value. You heard from the Father directly. And then five minutes later, you got so puffed up and excited about it that you shifted into the flesh, submitted to your flesh, and now you're rebuking me. I'm the king of glory, buddy. You get what I'm saying? And then he, he rebukes him. He says, your mind, is on, your mind is on the things of man, which is fleshly. But I, what I love about Peter is so he, he, he's a royal screw-up in that moment, right? And then it gets worse because he doesn't just deny Jesus once, which is brutal. He does it three times. And three times in the Bible is like, if you want to confirm something, say it three times. So it's like, can you imagine? The third time he did it, I, I try and picture what it was going on in his heart. Like, it wasn't just once. It wasn't just twice. It was three times. It was like, it was the ultimate stuff up. And he was broken. So broken that he hid. How many of you can relate to that? And I love the way Jesus restores Peter, where he's talking to him, and he asks him this question, do you love me? Now, I don't know about you, but that's a hard question to answer when you've denied him three times. Why is Jesus asking that? Because the love that Jesus is looking for is not based on what you can and can't do. He was not going, have you proved your love for me, Peter? See, Jesus is okay with your weak love. Because at the end of the day, Romans 5, 5 says, the Holy Spirit actually pours out the love of God into your heart. So the love that you're called to love Jesus with is not your own. And what qualified Peter was not 
whether he had failed or whether he got it right. It was that he loved Jesus and was willing to follow him. So he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Second time. Now, I guarantee you, Peter was going, wow, okay, what are you doing? Are you going to make me do this three times and then tell me I stuffed it up or what's happening here? But he does it three times. He asks him three times because what he's saying is my love for you will sustain you when you're broken and weak and don't know how to love me right. Your weak love is actually where my power is made perfect, according to Corinthians. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, can I, Courtney and I were talking about this this morning. Your weakness, if you give it to God, He will have His glory. Do you get me? We think He gets glory through what I do well. And again, who decided you did a good job on that? Generally you. See, when we let go of all the stuff and we submit to Jesus and we let Him be God, let Him be Lord, we let the gospel minister to us, then suddenly we find a satisfaction that's found in His finished work, not in what I think I'm doing well or not. And here's the thing about Peter is that he, he gets it wrong, he gets restored, but then this is so profound. He's in the, the upper room. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They have an instruction from Jesus that I just love. It's like, what are the blueprints for church, God? How do you want church to operate? And this is all He gives them. Wait. Don't do anything. Do not do anything till you receive the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, it'll, it'll all be sorted out because He's going to lead my church. The leadership of Jesus through the Spirit of Jesus is what's leading the church. So Peter's in this room. They're, they're waiting on Him. And then when He comes, fire falls on them. And who stands up? The royal stuff up. He stands up and he begins to preach with boldness and authority. And thousands come to know Jesus in a moment. Peter's the guy, just to let you know, he still, gets, he still stuffs up even afterwards. But he's the guy who is walking on the streets and the, the crowds are coming to lay sick people on the floor just so that his shadow would touch them. Why his shadow? I believe Peter learned something about the grace of God that he positioned himself under the shadow of El Shaddai. He was abiding in the shelter of the Most High. And when you are under His shadow, guess what's in yours? That's when we're living in the Holy Spirit. When we come out of that into flesh, then you start to see Peter in Antioch where he starts separating Jews and Gentiles again. And he starts making mistakes. But then I love Peter because every time he, he shifts and, and gets into the flesh and he's rebuked, I mean, Paul rebukes him publicly, is pretty, again, brutal. And his response is to immediately tuck back in. Do you know that in, in that, that moment, you read about it in, uh, I think it's in Galatians, where Peter's rebuked publicly in Antioch because he sided with the Jews arrive and suddenly he goes back to doing legalistic things and separating himself from the Gentiles to be impressive to the Jews. And Paul gets really upset because he goes, is your salvation based on works again? And so he deals with Peter. And you know what's amazing is that Peter's response is he moves his family to Rome, the capital of the Gentiles. Do you, are you seeing this? Peter gets it wrong again, and then he's like, oh, come on. Like, can you imagine? It's just like, he knows without the Holy Spirit, he's, he's really done. He's an uneducated fisherman. I get it. His response is to move his family to Rome, the capital of the Gentiles, and give himself fully to the dream of God. Again, he lays it down and says, it's your sufficiency, Lord. So in, in 2 Corinthians, it says... Um, his grace is sufficient and His power 
is made perfect in your weakness. So if you give God your weakness, He takes glory in that. Anything that you give God, He will take His glory in. He's not looking for you to figure it out. He's not looking for your best attempt. He's looking for your yielded yes. He's looking for your surrender. He's looking for even your weak little whispered love. See, when it comes to carrying the glory in the presence of the Lord, I, I want to just say this. And if you remember one thing today, just take this. He only rests on the Lamb. <laughs> he only rests on the finished work of the Lamb. It's a good thing He's made you like Him. It's a good thing that you're actually covered in the blood of Jesus, that you're filled with the Spirit of Christ, that when the Father looks at you, He sees His Son, because it means that the Holy Spirit rests upon you. He's inside of you, but He rests upon you. So like Peter, there's this clear understanding that it's not my own works, it's not my own attempt to get to a place where I feel like I'm okay to receive the Holy Spirit, to walk in His power, to walk in what He's called me to. No, you'll never get there in your own strength. You need to receive the finished work of Jesus, believe it, and walk it out. Amen? I just can't move on, sorry. See, God is so in love with your heart that right now He cares so much about where your heart's positioned. He cares so much about what you're going to do from this moment, what you're going to say yes to. And He's not looking for you to be strong. He's looking for you to yield. So I feel like I can't move from that because satisfaction and fulfillment in life is not going to come from getting it right. I might be repeating myself, and that's okay. I have to. You, you can't do this in your own strength. You're going to get smashed. If we try and do this in our own strength, if we allow self-righteousness to lead us, we're going to get smashed. The world will have an absolute field day with us. The way we live protected and covered is by being in Him, dependent on Him. You know, in Song of Songs, it says that the bride actually comes out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. It's a picture of victory. She comes out of the wilderness leaning. Your picture of victory might not be this oh, Captain Marvel picture. It might just be you leaning. I, the way that I picture it is like I got all my weight on his shoulders and my feet are dragging. And he's just pulling me out of the wilderness. That's how I see it. And I'm going like, we won! And the thing is, people go like, no, we're a victorious bride. We are a victorious bride. He's the victorious one, though. I'm just holding on. Do uh, you get what I'm saying? Maybe we need to do a little bit more leaning. See, he's okay to carry the weight, man. He's, he asked us, he said, come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says this beautiful thing. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, it's, he's not talking about an egg. He's talking about a yoke with two, two cattle, right? Because I used to think it was an egg, just being real. I was like, I look at eggs and go, how is a yolk easy? Easy over. His, he likes his yolks easy over. I'm getting this. 
No, he's yoked, right? So if we're yoked to Jesus, like two cattle or oxen are yoked together, what's beautiful is that what he's saying is I carry the weight. Your job is just to stay yoked to me. The burden is light. So can I say it like this? When life's getting heavy, where are you yoked? It's, these, are the, these are the questions of the gospel. Because I know, and I'm saying this because I, we're family, right? I, I, we know each other. We love each other. I spend a lot of time talking to people in this community. I know it is hectic. Life is hectic. It's getting crazy out there, and people are struggling. And then what breaks my heart is that we sit in church services and what we hear is the seven steps to do this thing right and get it better. And if you want to be successful, if you want to be blessed, if you want to... And I'm going, it's just... I don't see it here. What I see is Jesus drawing and wooing his bride to say, I've, I've done the whole thing. You lean on me. Watch what I'm going to do. See, the born-again experience is to be born out of something and born into something new. What we're doing is we have this weird, messed up psychological perspective of the gospel where we're trying to fix the old man that Jesus said was dead. It's like digging up a dead corpse out of the ground and playing puppets with it. And it stinks. But he's inviting us again and again and again. And some of you are going, bro, you preach this like every second or third week. Yep. And, and can I tell you something? I have to preach this to my own heart every day. Because you're going to wake up tomorrow, I promise you, mark my words, you'll wake up tomorrow and life's going to scream at you. It's the Monday morning thing, right? We were laughing last night over dinner just saying, it's like you, you get so fired up on Sunday or Sunday night, you get into the traffic on Monday morning and dear Lord, have mercy. It's like, you know, Sunday felt like a year ago. And so where do you run? Where do you go? Cultivate friendship with Jesus through the finished work of the cross. It's only by his blood. He's not looking for your best attempt to be like him. He's looking for him in you. And that's a beautiful thing because what you start to see is change and transformation that you know you can't take credit for. And that's the best kind because that's, that one keeps you happy. When you can see evidence in your life of change that you didn't do, that you know God did that. God is not interested in rehabilitation. He's interested in reconciliation. And we've got to stop treating our lives like we're a bunch of drug addicts trying to get rehabilitated and correct our behavior out of something and into something and start being reconciled to God. Because when you're reconciled, you're made new. Old things pass away. Behold, new things I now declare. That's what the Father says. So when we live reconciled, it's a relational thing. See, relationship, relationship with God will bring transformation. Promise you. Promise. And it aches in my heart because I, we all do this, man. We, the first thing, when we feel that conviction or we know that we've messed up, the first thing we do is we look at our behavior and we go, how do I fix this again? How, why did that happen? How do I? And then let me just be real with you. You get tired. You get tired of trying to fix yourself. You get tired of trying to deal with the behavior stuff. So what you do is you either hide or you become depressed or you become anxious or you try and cover it up or you run. And it's so funny because we're spending so much time here and the Father is not even anywhere close to this. 
He's way over here going, man, I love you. You're beautiful. You're amazing. I love your heart. I love the way that you design me. I love the way that you're actually created for me. And I'm, I'm ready to walk in Eden again together. And maybe, maybe leave that dead, stinky corpse alone and come on over here where actually new life is, where there's friendship with me, where we can enjoy each other, where, where I can speak things to you that your heart only dreams of hearing and experiencing. And it's amazing because these people here, they, they live free. These people here look like Jesus. These people here learn to love. If you're experiencing, if you're experiencing cycles of brokenness or perpetual patterns in your life of hurt and pain and all this kind of stuff, I, I want to challenge you and say it's, it's probably because you really think you can do it and you can fix yourself. And it's probably because you're looking at yourself or you're looking at your behaviors or you're so focused on trying to get it right and you're actually exhausted. And what happens when you get tired is you don't know how to move anymore and so you just kind of set up camp there. And then you become numb. You become dull because you're so exhausted from that feeling. And you, all you can see is yourself. All you can see is your weakness. All you can see is your inadequacies. And the Father is just, He's inviting you. He's saying, just come to me again and again and again. It's why we write songs like Run. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, you know, drag your feet to the Father. <laughs> Can I tell you what some of my, my runs to the Father look like? Leopard crawling, like just one hand in front of the other. Pull yourself, drag yourself to Jesus. That's sometimes what running looks like for me. It's not always like that beautiful Usain Bolt sprint, you know. Sometimes it's, it's raw and it's messy, but, but when you go to him. See, what I was trying to say about Moses is that friendship with God matters more to him than you getting it right. It's why he did what he did. It's why every single time, just pick a story, all of them, pick one. They all, all of the guys and girls who Jesus works with, they all suck. They're, they're all messed up. They all got it wrong. They're all royal stuff-ups that God wants to be friends with. But can I just mark my words? Hear this. F being friends with God will not leave you as a royal stuffer. <laughs> being friends with God takes you out of the mess into new life, and suddenly you begin to walk in destiny. You begin to walk in what He's called you to walk in. You begin to look like Him. Things change. Things shift. Can I tell you how good God is? And this is, this is where we... we uh, I'm just going to give you some practical, practical stuff, and then I'm done. The gospel is so good that the covenant that God's brought you into, it's so sealed, so done in Jesus. It's such a finished work. You really can't screw it up. And if you have his perspective and his heart, you'll be empowered to overcome anything. I'll give you an example. Marriage. We've been trained. You make covenant with somebody. And if you break that covenant you're done. In other words, you make covenant with somebody, and if you mess it up, you've lost their trust, there's no hope for you, and that person, actually, they, they have rights to divorce you, separate from you. And we've been trained that that's, that's right. That's justice. All of you would agree with me. But Jesus does this interesting thing in Matthew 6, I think it is, or 5. He says, if anyone has even looked at another woman or person with lust in your heart, 
You've already committed adultery. In other words, what he did was he just went, by the way, you're all adulterers. So, so now, so just follow me again. You make covenant in marriage with somebody. If that, if that marriage covenant is based on you, you're already an adulterer. The, the covenant failed before it started. Because you, you do not have the capacity in and of yourself to keep your mind and thoughts pure and perfect. It's impossible. And that's why he says he gives you the mind of Christ. It's a gift. He gives it to you. That's where freedom and liberty comes. So now here's the thing about marriage. The covenant of marriage is, yes, between a man and a woman, but it's who holds it together. It's God. It's why when we do weddings, we say, before God, this covenant is... A, what does that mean? It means that actually this covenant is in Him. Marriage is the closest expression, the closest covenantal expression between two human beings that represents the covenant between Jesus and His bride. It's the closest thing we'll experience. So it cannot be upheld by us. So what if our rights, when the other one messes up or when we feel the other one's... Whatever. What if our rights are actually just self-righteousness and a hierarchical pursuit of, of something that makes us feel better than the other one because we can, we can look at them differently. We can look down on them because mine's not as bad as you. According to God and according to the law, you miss one, you miss them all. In other words, if you had the thought, you're already an adulterer. It doesn't have to go very far in your head. It's just, it's just is what it is. So now, marriage has to be supernatural. And that's putting it right back where God wants it. It has to be supernatural. If it's not supernatural, it won't last. That should encourage you, not, not scare you. That should be like, thank God. Because it means He's going to sustain you. It means He's going to give you a supernatural love that you can't cultivate or develop by yourself. It means you don't quit. It means you, you, you can't quit. It's just not in your nature to quit. Now, don't get me wrong. There are reasons and, and people cross lines. And when lines are crossed and there's whatever, physical abuse and stuff like that, don't get me wrong. It's not like, well, your job is just to stick it out. No, no, hold on. God loves you. He's after your heart. But, but, but hear me. Our expectation in marriage is supernatural. It's a supernatural love. It's a covenant that he holds together. That's grace. Can I tell you a story? There's a, a man of God. I won't say his name because I might get emails. He's an amazing man of God who, preaching the grace of God, has incredible revelation on this, and his wife has an affair. And, uh, and he has such a friendship with the Lord that he sees it for what it is. My wife doesn't know who she is in Jesus, and so she made a mistake. And the man that she had an affair with doesn't know who he is in Jesus, and so he made a mistake. And so my responsibility is to tell them who they are in Christ. And so he loved his wife back into freedom in her conscience with him as a husband. And he loved the man who she had an affair with into identity in Jesus to where he began to serve the Lord and follow Jesus. And he continued in his marriage and is still married, and they have a beautiful relationship, and the way he speaks about his wife is, is incredible. But I, I hear that, and it, it offends my mind because we're trained by a lie. But then I go, but that's Jesus. Because imagine if Jesus, if we're the bride of Christ, imagine if he treated us the way we think we should treat our spouses. Like, we, we've cheated on Jesus all the time. Because just so you know, there's two lords, him and money. 
So anytime your heart's given to money and you're working for money instead of Jesus, you cheated on him, <laughs> to put it bluntly. So imagine he had that, that way with us of like, well, you, you lost my trust. I gave you everything. I died for you. I spent my whole, everything I have, I gave. Unconditional love. And you betrayed me. Now he doesn't do that. See, his love doesn't have strings attached because then it's not love, it's need. His love does not have strings attached. His love is unconditional. He lays his life down and he goes, everything I have is yours. And they spit on him and they whip him and they beat him and he continues and he says, for the joy set before me, he endured, right? What joy? On the other side of the cross was a people who were not going to be measured by their sin. That's what brought him joy. He doesn't measure his bride by her failures and he's asking us to do the same. Don't measure each other by your failures. Love one another unconditionally with a love that's not your own. It's a love that comes from the Father. This is how God keeps families together. This is how God uses families to transform society. It is not because we figured out how to do it well. It's because we are leaning on Him and we need His supernatural love and we need His power in every area of your life. See, if you're not born again to this gospel, you, you need to. You need to get born again. Because the reality is we, we're getting, we, we, are, we are bringing people into an understanding of the gospel where they actually get more stuck than they were before they were saved. They're stuck around guilt, shame, and condemnation, and they're bound by these lies. And, and we think we've done a good job because we ticked the box, we got them saved. But they don't look saved, they look bound. And Jesus is crying out, he's going... If, if he went through what he went through, it must be so that people can walk in freedom, can walk in love, can walk in grace and mercy that will transform their life. And the, the hindrance to transformation is that we, we stop looking at heart and we start looking at behavior and we do it over and over again. It's become like second nature to people. And we, we disguise it under messages of holiness and we have the right intentions and sincere heart when we do this, but we call it a holiness message, but it's actually whipping the sheep. And it's like, no, there is only one who's holy. There is only one who's holy. I don't know about you, but in my Bible, they only cry holy to one person. <laughs> they, and then he says, be holy as what? I am holy. The holiness is based on him. You can only be holy as he is. He's not asking for you to try to be, be like him. He's saying, you are like me. I did it. Believe what I'm saying. Amen? Amen. I don't know what the heck I'm preaching on. <laughs> I just, I'm just um, shotgun hitting stuff in the spirit here. Sorry. It's because he loves your heart. So I, I feel like the Lord's just highlighting heart stuff. Is that okay? Yeah. When my dad gets back, he'll do an exegesis on some really intense theology if you want. <laughs> By the way, they're on their 30th anniversary trip, wedding anniversary, so yay for them. Can't wait to have them back. They send their love. I was meant to say that at the beginning. <laughs> See, I, I look at your eyes. I look at your faces. And every single person in this room has a sincere desire for God. There's no one sitting in this room that's, that's, you know, doesn't want to do this, doesn't want what I'm saying, doesn't want this life with Jesus. You all know when I say this, your heart comes alive. I know because it happens to me. That's why you've got to preach the gospel to yourself. You're longing for this. You're longing for Him. You want Him. What you don't realize is that He wants you more than you want Him. I don't see you getting up on crosses dying for people. So he did something that we would never do in our own strength. He's so in love with you. If we would get this perspective of the Father and understand he, he is in pursuit of your heart and there's nowhere you can hide. 
when he tore the veil top to bottom in half, there is nowhere on the earth that's safe from his presence. He's coming. And he's so good and he loves you so much that you can go around this mountain a million times. He'll keep chasing you around until you're prepared to go up. I am astounded, honestly astounded, at the hand of the Lord over our lives. I look at my life, and I, I honestly, I have conversations with my wife. I look back and I go, the amount of times I either should be dead or would have killed myself or the amount of times I, sh- I nearly blew everything, the amount of times I'm like, I-, I, could, I could screw things up just so quickly. But his hand is on my life. His hand's on your life. I, it's, if I could say it this way, it's like when everybody else looked at you and said, you're done, he looked at you and said, live. Do you get that? It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. He's, he looks at you and he says, live. He only has one intention for your life. It's his dream. And he, he's, he's got everything that it takes to do this, and he's put it inside of you. 2 Peter 1.3, everything that pertains to life and godliness, he's put inside of you. He's given it to you. So the adventure of following Jesus, it's supposed to be so full of joy. I said it last week with Nehemiah and Ezra. When Nehemiah is governing after he's rebuilt the walls and they call Ezra, Ezra comes in and his job is to come and bring the law of God, the ways of God back to the people. And he begins to read the law and they all come and they start to weep and mourn. And then Ezra says something so powerful. He says, don't weep, don't mourn. This day is holy. Isn't it interesting? The holiness preaching that we've heard is come weep and mourn. God wants holiness. But actually Ezra calls him and he goes, this day is holy. Don't weep, don't mourn. Feast. So now the response for the church is when God brings his ways to our hearts and there's transformation, what is he asking you to do? Feast on the goodness of God. Feast on who he is. That's how you become all that he's called you to become. Do I believe in repentance? Do I believe in weeping? Of course I do. But if that's what your Christian life looks like, if that's what your walk with God looks like, is just continual moments of weeping and mourning and repenting and repenting. Repentance is the way of the righteous. We think it's a momentary thing for sinners. It's the way of life in Christ. It's not supposed to always look like weeping. It's supposed to look like a joyful returning. See, because you're not running to a father who's, who's disappointed and upset and like, how many times do we have to go through this, Connor? How many times have you gone around this mountain? I'm, I come here. That's not the father. But you see, we've had earthly dads like that. I don't understand how you don't understand. And so we relate to him like he's, we think he's like that. He's not like that. See, a million times you can run down that driveway as a prodigal son, and a million times over, he's standing there with the ring and the robe. He's so proud of you. See, the only one in that story who got offended was the older brother. And I, I actually, when I read it, the, the older brother was worse off than the prodigal son because he was living in the father's house, didn't even know who he was, didn't even know who his father was, didn't know that he could, he could have the feast every day. So if you're in a space where you feel like that, I'm saying, if this is the million and one time that you're running down that driveway, run. He's on the other side of the driveway with the ring in the robe. He's like, I love you. What father, what good father 
gets fed up with their kids and just says, you know what, stay with the pigs. Nah, not him. He loves you so much. Amen? So here's, I don't know what I'm, good luck with the title again, bro. Sorry. Um, it's been a good series on worship, hasn't it? It's a nice graphic. Well done, team. The Father really is looking for worshipers, so I'll get better at series. It's just because He loves you, man. Uh, the last two weeks, I, I just encourage you, go listen to last week's one and then listen to this week. It's interesting what the Lord's highlighting, and I feel arrested by Him. I was up until 1 o'clock in the morning prepping for habitation again. So, thanks, Lord. <laughs> Wow. Do you understand that there's destiny of your life? I just like, I get overwhelmed by the emotion of the Lord because I look at you and I go, man, I know, I know some of you are tired and there's so much going on, but you have destiny of your life. Don't you think it's worth walking in it, trusting God and just saying, actually, yeah, I'm going to believe what you said. And I... Can I ask this question? If you're in a situation, this, is, this will be interesting. If you're in a situation and, and work is just crippling you or it's really heavy, if work is the heavy, heavy burden that's on your shoulders right now, can you stand for me? Matt's the only honest person. There's a beautiful psalm. It says this, that God provides for us while we sleep. While we sleep. Some of you are like, sure, that must be a nice luxury, sleeping. <clears throat> Maybe start with that. Sleep, and then you'll see the provision. No, so here's the thing, man. If you're feeling stressed around work, I, I there's something that's been just triggering my spirit the last couple of weeks where I actually think... God's going to raise up a people in the bride that are really fierce. Um, and I think we've been on the bottom end of such garbage for a long time. And because we, uh, we must choose the low place and we love that and, and we, we want to serve and we want to honor, don't stop doing that. But I also believe that there's coming a time where God asks you to make a stand. And the reason why you're called to make a stand is because mammon is not your God. It's not. You have, a, you have a Lord who provides for you while you sleep. You don't have control over that, which is why it scares us. But it's supernatural, and it's way better than anything you can think of. So I know that the Lord's actually equipping us right now in your businesses and in your spheres of influence. The Lord's going to actually strengthen your no so that your yes becomes edified and amplified in what God's called you to do. So it's like a practical tool. There's going to be things to say no to. But I also believe that the Lord gives us a supernatural grace and a wisdom to steward the seasons that He has us walking in. Amen? So you might find yourself, if, if you're feeling that pressure with work and whatever it is that, that you're carrying right now, God gives you supernatural grace. It's, you will know it's not you. And I also just feel very quickly, there's some of you that need to take some, some expectations off of yourself that people put on you that God never put on you. There's expectations and pressures that you're carrying that's not yours. In other words, the, the jersey doesn't fit. Stop wearing it. Amen? So will you guys lift your hands, and the rest of you just stretch your hands out. I just want to pray where there's been such stress and heaviness and tension. Lord, I, I just thank you for these beautiful people 
And I thank you for the favor and blessing of the Lord that's already upon their life. God, I thank you right now. Every pressure to earn, impress, or prove themselves, I take it off them right now. By, by the Holy Spirit, we just remove that pressure. Every lie from the enemy, it's lifted right now. And I thank you that the confidence that they can have is in you because you're a good father. You're a good God. You provide for us while we sleep. Your provision is perfect. You're walking with us, holding us. And I thank you for the destiny of heaven over these people's lives. And I just thank you, Jesus, right now that they would be yoked to you, that every ungodly burden that's been heavy, it lifts right now in Jesus' name. Those, are the, those, are the, those that are standing that are leading businesses or, or running businesses or have their own businesses, I thank you. Every ungodly lie and pressure be gone right now. It's God's business. It's God's. And so thank you that there's a trust and a confidence that's coming. Thank you that stress and anxiety and depression is not your portion. It's not. And so, Lord, I just release grace, grace upon this house, grace upon every business, grace upon every marriage, grace upon every family, grace upon every situation and circumstance. We receive it right now as a family. We take a hold of it. It's ours. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I also just ask, help us to take our eyes off of ourselves to put our eyes on you to see what you're doing. And I ask that you would remove presumption from our hearts, that we would never do anything because we think it's a good idea, but that we'd actually seek you, Lord. We'd actually hear your voice and follow you. So I bless this house and I bless those that are standing. I bless their businesses and, and all that they're putting their hands to. And I just pray right now for a hedge of protection, the blood of Jesus around their ears and their eyes, around their minds, that in the environments that they're working in, especially in the corporate world, thank you, every accusation, every lie, every demonic ploy of the enemy falls silent and, and has no impact or, or no uh, reach in terms of their hearts and their destiny. Keep them postured in humility. Keep them postured in hunger for you and strengthen their nose so that they, their yes can be amplified, God. I bless you guys in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yay. Cool. Lunch is calling. Some of you um, have been in a season the last couple of weeks. You feel very dry and your heart is sore. And what happens is when you come into his presence and you've been in that season, when you come into his presence, your heart aches because you know you could have had this all along. So what the temptation is always to go, ah, look, I lost it again. Behavior. But the father's not seeing that. He's not saying that this morning. He's saying this is where you can live. This is where you belong. This is home. Home is his presence. Home is friendship and relationship with him. So I just want to encourage you. I just, last thing, I just felt that. If you are feeling sore and dry because you know it's been a season of just absolute chaos, stress, anxiety, and you haven't been in that place of walking with the Lord, you're still seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. That doesn't change. The only thing that left his presence was your attention. He never left. Amen? So um, Courtney said something to me years ago that was so profound. He's as close as this. You get me? Like that's all it is. He, he wants to just grab your face and say, look at me. All right, shall we just stand?
Father, thank you that we are not like Moses, even though he was super cool. <laughs> but thank you that, Lord, we are not called to walk with a veil over our face, that we are called to walk face to face with you. Lord, I just feel this morning that you're, this is just a moment for 24-7 where you're encouraging hearts. The last two weeks, you're just speaking right to our hearts, encouraging us. And Lord, I know you're doing that because you've called this house to carry great glory. You've called this house to walk in presence and power. You've called this house to reach the nations. You've called this house to reach every sphere of society that you place us in. And so, Father, I ask that we would be strengthened in the Lord, encouraged in the truth of the finished work of the gospel. And so, Jesus, I release that blessing over us. I release it over this church. I release it over every person right now. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just confirm this by touching us in our hearts, doing what, what I can't do, what only you can do. Touch our hearts, refresh our hearts. I also ask, Lord, that you would heal every bit of pain, any bit of disease, sickness, or infirmity in this room. Lord, I thank you that you would just move over your church. Do what only you can do right now. And God, as we go into this week, I just thank you that today we would feel like we drank from the living waters, that we would feel refreshed and rejuvenated. So as we go into tomorrow, even maybe today with family and those around us, thank you for our sensitivity to you. Lord, I bless this house. I bless every heart. And we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. If I've said anything today, Father, that's not in your heart, let it fall on deaf ears. But God, that which is of you, I pray that it would minister to us and change our hearts in Jesus' name. We love you and we bless you and we rejoice in you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you, guys. Love you so much. Have a beautiful day.